The Flight Deck is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you to the donors who sustain the Museum of Flight. To support this podcast and the museum's other educational initiatives, visit museumofflight.org slash podcast. Hello and welcome to The Flight Deck, the podcast of the Museum of Flight in Seattle, Washington. I'm your host, Sean Mobley. Now we're getting to the end of season three of The Flight Deck, which has been focusing on LGBTQ plus stories in aerospace. But before we wrapped up, I wanted to take a moment to highlight some LGBTQ plus people who did really interesting things in aerospace, but that for whatever reason, didn't get a whole episode. I mean, the reality is there are so many folks to talk about and only a handful of episodes. This felt like a good way to spotlight more people in the past, uh, present, and maybe the future of aerospace. And speaking of the future of aerospace, joining me in this discussion is the wonderful Joalda Morancy. Hello there, Joalda. Hello. Excited to be here. Joalda, for for listeners who've been listening to this season, actually participated in a full interview that you can check out a few weeks ago earlier on the feed if you want to learn a little bit more about their background. But just do want to give the new listeners a very quick summary of who you are and what you're about. Yeah. So my name is Joalda Moranzi. I currently am an aerospace engineer at Blue Origin, working on our lunar lander program. Super exciting. Um, And I'm also an author. And I write children's nonfiction books. So the format for this episode is going to be a little different. Joel and I have each come up with a list of five people that we wanted to add a little spotlight to. And uh, they can be engineers. They can be scientists. They can be fiction authors. They can be involved in the culture around aerospace, not even just people flying the planes themselves. And uh, so we're going to take turns going back and forth, sharing these folks and what we think is interesting about them. And listeners, I will invite you uh, to, to share your response. If there's someone you think should be added to this list, go ahead and send an email to podcast at museumofflight.org and let me know. Oh, with that, are you ready, Joalda? Yes. Well, I'll go ahead and start then. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a deep dive here. We're going to go way, way back before... Airplanes actually existed all the way to the Italian Renaissance. And I'm going to talk about Leonardo da Vinci. I think one of the coolest dreamers in aerospace. Wouldn't you agree? Definitely agree. I'm a big fan. (laughs) One of my favorite things here at the Museum of Flight is that when you walk into the main lobby, you look up and you see this. I mean, you can only call it a flying machine, right? It's... It's a model of a da Vinci ornithopter. He's a well-known doodler, inventor, painter, and and a lot of his drawings were around flying contraptions. Like, I've seen one that's like basically a a corkscrew. (laughs) That's that's a helicopter idea. Uh, The one that we have here at the museum is a model that is uh, basically like a Think of like an app, you're doing abductors or something or pull-ups. And as you're pulling up on the bar, it's making the wings flap. It's so fascinating. Uh, The scientists, I think, have done math to show that the amount of force a person would need to put out compared to their, like, mass of the person, it's not a functional design. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But it's still so fascinating. 
But a lot of people don't realize uh, that Leonardo da Vinci, in 1476, he was accused of a crime called sodomy. They're a complicated word, uh, but he, he, he basically was put on trial for sodomy with, with a group of several other men. And they had the charges dropped against them because one of the men was connected to the Medici family, who, if, if you don't know, the Medicis were just a very powerful family in the area at the time. So it's likely that that saved his bacon. And uh, who knows? History could have been very different because he was only 24. I think I said that kind of the beginning of his life. And uh, we would have been deprived of just an amazing artist and thinker. Yes. If things had gone differently. I, this is like one of the first times I've heard about this. I've like heard someone else mention it, but that's so crazy to me. But Well, and it gets, it gets even more interesting when you go into the art side of things, like the, the people that he posed had posed for, for models for, <laughs> for the female paintings were often men. <laughs> and he just yeah. he had them strike the pose and then uh, oh. painted them presenting feminine. Wow, that's so interesting. That's uh, that's my deep cut there. What you got? <laughs> uh, yeah, so I guess the first person I'll talk about is um, Dr. Chanda Prescott-Weinstein. Um, and so she is a physics professor at the University of New Hampshire. Um, and I think, I believe she is the first Black woman to hold like a tenure track position in physics um, ever, which is she's like pretty young, which is I think incredible and also insane at the same time that this is like a more recent accomplishment. Um, but I like kind of discovered her like back when I was like more active in social media and she, something I love about her work is that she not only does like, um, like particle physics and cosmology research. Um, and then like also like observational astronomy and stuff like that. Um, even though she's mainly a theoretical researcher, um, she like does like a lot of like feminist philosophy and research and ties a lot of that back into the work that she does within physics. Um, so she's black and queer and Jewish. Um, and she likes to tie all that back into how that, like how her identity affects, um, the science that she does. Um, and so a couple of things that I really like from her, she published a book a couple years ago called the disordered cosmos. Um, and she kind of goes, does a deep dive into like her like science background and also her identity and whatnot. Um, and then recently, I think last year, she published this resource called um, Site Black Women in Physics and Astronomy. And it's like a bibliography that kind of like takes a bunch of publications by Black women in like physics and astronomy and puts all these publications or I guess what's the word I'm looking for? She makes them as, super easily accessible since the amount of like black women in general in the field is like very, very low. Um, and so like being able to uplift that the research they're doing in the field is super important. And she's like a big part of that. Um, so yeah, I think she's like generally awesome. And I love like seeing all her perspectives on like, I think a lot of times in like science, we tend to see people say like, Oh, I'm going to only focus on the science. Like, I don't want to think about politics that doesn't pertain to the work I do when before anything, like our identity comes first before any of the work we do. So it's great to see 
um, a professor really like integrating those two subjects into the work they do. When you say site, you mean that's C-I-T-E, right? Yes, site, yeah. Why is that so important in academia that these works get cited? Yeah, um, currently, like the field is still, there's so much work to be done in the field to like have it be super representative of like the people within our world. Like it's, I guess science or physics in general is just very, once again, pretty white and male. And so having this resource that is easily accessible that you can go to to find um, these black women who are making strides in this field, but may not get the same visibility as like their white or male counterparts, I think is like extremely important um, and something that I personally care a lot about. Yeah. All right. The next person I'm going to spotlight is a pilot named Karen Ulan. Now, Karen is a transgender woman. She was a pilot for the army in Vietnam, very decorated. She uh, earned the air medal with eight clusters and she was even a pilot instructor. The reason I bring that up is it just shows the level of skill that she had reached, that she was being trusted to train uh, the next group of pilots to go and fly. Now, this was all when she was presenting as male. Now, a little later on in 1968, she joined Eastern Airlines as a pilot and rose through the ranks there over the course of about a decade. And in 1980, she underwent what we would today call gender confirmation surgery and kind of began the process of presenting as female. She is, I think, one of the most important people that doesn't get talked about because she was fired by her airline after the surgery and she sued Eastern Airlines under the Civil Rights Act. And she actually won. She won that she had been discriminated against. Okay. And that lawsuit is it's really interesting stuff. Uh, basically, the, the airline, for example, made the argument that she had changed into a different person when she underwent the surgery. Uh, and they also said that uh, her presence would be, it would cause distress and a kind of undue notoriety that they didn't want associated with their brand. And the judge pointed out, that an Eastern Airline pilot and his wife, a different pilot, a year or two earlier had posed in Playboy. And Eastern oh. had no problem with that, but oh, they did wow. have a problem with this. And so the judge ruled in Karen's favor, which would have set the precedent that transgender identities were protected under the Civil Rights Act in 1980s. Fortunately, it got overturned in appeal later on. And so that set the opposite precedent that transgender identities were not protected under the Civil Rights Act, and that didn't get changed until quite a bit later. Uh, but really an important legal battle that took place and, and a fascinating just kind of insight. Uh, be because of the lawsuit, her life is, is better documented than a lot of people are. Um, so a, a great and interesting person. Wow. Uh, it's so interesting to me, like, when I hear about these cases that, like, these, like, companies are more worried about their <laughs> their own, like, future instead of, like, the harm or, like, the discrimination that these people who are undergoing, like, a major, like, identity shift are going under. So it's, it's so wild to me that they're, like, only looking out for themselves instead of the person who is much more under danger and 
I guess I can go with my next person. Um, this is a science fiction author. Her name is Becky Chambers. And I think she's very popular for a book, The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet, but also her second book, A Song for a Wild Bill. And I think it's very interesting to like highlight just sci-fi authors in general, only because I feel like it's one of like the best places where you can create like your own representation and get have it put out into like a wide audience, if that makes sense. Um, Becky does like a lot of representation of different characters and different gender identities and um, sexualities within her books, which is why I enjoyed them in the first place. Um, and it also kind of reminds me of some other books I like have recently read, um, including this one book by Martha Wells and the Murderbot series. And Martha Wells herself isn't queer, but in her book, there's like a lot of like, queer representation i think a lot of people think about whether the main character could be like asexual representation and then also you get to see like different gender identities within the book which is super cool to see in a sci-fi setting um but i as someone who like loves to read a lot i think seeing the things that she's doing and it inspires me to or how do i word this it not only like helps me like appreciate that the representation exists in the field because I feel like science fiction also has been like taken over by like a very specific group of people, um, but also like there's this future where queer people are able to like live proudly in the identities they exist, um, and they're just like just one other part of society if that makes sense compared to like i feel like today's climate where we're constantly fighting for just the right to exist and be seen um but yeah and we talked about that a lot in the last interview you and i did about kind of the, the inspiration and aspirational nature of a lot of sci-fi at least as far as lgbtq plus representation goes exactly um it's one of my favorite outlets at least to for seeking representation and i feel like once again like i said since like you're able to like get those stories out to such a wide audience and like get your stories in bookstores and whatnot it's like a great way to help help other other people who are not like really exposed to our community understand like who we are where we come from etc and if people want to dive into that they should listen to the other interview i did with you joalda my next person is an astronomer, astrophysicist, more specifically named Nergis Mavalvala. Uh, and Nergis is an astrophysicist, like I said, currently at MIT. She's actually the dean of the MIT School of Science, which my conception of MIT is that it's all the School of Science, but... <laughs> <laughs> I recently learned there's like, they have like a writing program over there. They do? Yeah, it's... It's I, it might be science writing so yeah I I think that's great I, I mean the, the adage that we should send uh, we should have sent more poets to the moon I, I I agree with I I think that's and science communication which is something we talked about a lot in your interview too we, yes. we need good writers who are able to uh, effectively get info out uh, but as to Nirjis Mavalvala she uh, was born in Pakistan. And came to the U.S. to pursue her studies. And, and what she's really known for, she did a lot of work with LIGO, which is Laser Interferometer Gravitational Wave Observatory. 
it's a set of observatories. One of them is actually here in Washington State. The other is in Louisiana. And they basically – and these are huge, by the way. The, the observatories are, are s several kilometers long just in terms of, of the tools that they use. And they use lasers to measure gravitational waves. And gravitational waves are ripples in space-time fabric. You can't yeah, see yeah. me, but I'm like grinning right now because it's <laughs> just like – Truly, it's it feels like sci-fi stuff, and they're they're actually doing this work. But but what it does is it gives us a look at the universe in a way that the visible spectrum can't. And so that's that's really the the purpose of this kind of observatory. And she was actually on the team that first observed these gravitational waves. <coughs> Excuse me, and then went on to work uh, for for a number of years on refining LIGO's tools and techniques like one of the issues when you're dealing with lasers is it gets very hot. So how do you keep everything cool efficiently so that you can have more accurate readings and stuff like that? I did a project on LIGO in high school. You are so much smarter than me in high school. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you should give myself that much credit. The paper was okay, but it's just cool how awesome those projects are. And then like that we got to see people um, from queer backgrounds being part of that. My next person will be um, Jane Rigby, um, or Dr. Jane Rigby, and she is a project scientist on the James Webb Space Telescope, um, and she is queer. And I think she's super interesting, Only, not only because of this, but one of the main reasons is because there's like a lot. Of, there's been a lot of controversy over the naming of the James Webb Space Telescope because James Webb was part of the Lavender Scare, which was kind of like a push to remove anyone who like showed any signs of like homosexuality or were queer in general um, away from their jobs and like leave them just like it was basically like a homophobic homophobic outing of a lot of people within their positions of like um, science and whatnot, um, and so to have um, someone who's openly lesbian at like the head of this project, I think is super empowering. And she actually has one quote that I really love. <laughs> um, and I think so basically she was being asked about um, the future for queer scientists um, in this field of astronomy and whatnot. And she said, do fabulous science, be fabulous and be kind, which I think is a great motto for all of us to follow. Um, but yeah, I think... It's stuff like that that, like, I, I have lots of thoughts on the whole um, renaming JWST is what most people refer to it now instead of saying the whole name. Um, but I think it's incredibly important to know that, like, despite the pushback from, like, leadership who doesn't seem to understand why it's important to not, I guess, uplift, like, homophobic science leaders like you get to see people like Jane just like being her authentic self, despite the like terrible, I guess, history revolving like the person this telescope is named after. She's super awesome. The lavender scares itself are, are a fascinating moment in U.S. history. Basically, there was a conspiracy theory uh, that laws were passed on that when the Russians captured Berlin they found a list that Adolf Hitler was keeping of all homosexuals in the U.S. and was going to use it to blackmail these Americans into being turncoats for the Russians. And federal policy was passed based on this conspiracy theory uh, that led to these lavender scares. The idea being that 
they could be leveraged, essentially. So we got to get rid of them. Got to get them out of the government. Yeah. Yeah. My next person is Vernice Armour. Now, Vernice is the first black female combat pilot here in the United States. Um, she had had a very interesting career even before that distinction. She became a Marine Corps officer, but before that, she was a police officer in Tennessee. Uh, she was the first or the only black woman on a motorcycle squad. Uh, at least in her precinct. And then later on, so that was in the 90s, and then she went on to earn her wings in 2001. And she flew helicopters. She flew the AH-1W Super Cobra during a few tours during Operation Iraqi Freedom. I think she had two deployments in combat zones. So this was really when women were not even allowed necessarily to, to be in combat. Um, and we've talked about women like that before. We've interviewed one. And I'll, I'll leave a link to that episode in, in the show notes about her story of being in a combat zone when she wasn't supposed to be. Uh, but anyway, so she earned her wings in 2001, uh, became a Marine Corps officer, uh, was this pilot, and now she's a motivational speaker. She's out there in the world uh, sharing her story and, and encouraging other people to, to pursue what it is they want. Uh, and actually, she was in a program here. She, she gave... Uh, she would participate in a panel at the Museum of Flight talking about uh, her life and career alongside other women in military aviation. Ooh. I am not as in tune in military aviation history as I'd like to be, so that is super cool to hear about her. I'm going to talk about Frank Cometti. Um, hopefully I'm getting his last name right. And he was um, an astronomer, but later turned into one of like a... One of the more popular like gay rights activists due to his background. So basically he was an astronomer and I think he got his like PhD in like astronomy and physics from Harvard. Um, but basically as he was doing his research during the Lavender Scare, he was like questioned by like his, I guess, superiors about like his sexuality and he didn't respond and they basically fired him because they the thought he was gay and he was, but he just didn't like give in to their harassment. Um, and so he brought a case to the Supreme court. And I think it was like the first case regarding sexuality to be brought to the Supreme court and like sued because obviously of the discrimination. And unfortunately he lost, but this led into him like getting more into gay rights activism and whatnot. Um, which was super interesting to read about when I was doing some research on him. And he also led, I think, the first White House protests for gay rights. Um, and I think this was like maybe like a decade before Stonewall happened. It's perplexing to me that like some like on the basis of someone's identity, that was enough to just get them fired. And then also the case where they were obviously discriminated against, lost. And I don't know. It's just like I just don't understand. And I'm, I'm sure many other people feel the same way of like why people are so scared to let people live their authentic lives and their authentic selves. And we have to like go through so much. He just wanted to do like astronomy research. He just wanted to like study the stars and do observational astronomy. But just because of something that had nothing to do with other people, like it didn't affect their lives whatsoever. He was prevented that opportunity. Um, and even though I'm sure he enjoyed his time as like a gay rights activist, I don't think 
it shouldn't have been his job to like fight for basic workers' rights. Um, and I think also he like was part of like the fight against the American Psychiatric Association to like not classify homosexuality in general as like a mental disorder, um, which is still also crazy to me. I, like anytime I read this, I get so frustrated and upset, but it's, it's just, that's just, I guess that's just history. Uh, a common thing that you, you will hear in the world if you are LGBT today is uh, essentially, you know, it, it doesn't matter. You should leave it at home and not talk about it at work. And it's like only a few years ago, you, here's an example of somebody and he was not alone who was forced to talk about it at work. Yeah. That could be, that's a whole nother podcast yeah. <laughs> that, that really isn't on topic for, for the museum flight, but it's so, people i really think people need to understand their history when they say things like that um exactly it's and i'll quickly just add that there's like such a double standard because like you you see people who are not queer talking about like their home lives and their wives and their kids and whatnot and because it's socially acceptable it does, it's not seen as talking about inappropriate things at work it's just seen as normal but as soon as someone deviates from that normality it's suddenly like the hugest problem and people are now uncomfortable and it's not appropriate it's not work appropriate and it's ridiculous um yeah i'll stop my soapbox rant there well <laughs> it's a perfect tie into my last person <laughs> and that is <laughs> margaret witt so margaret witt uh was in the air force she was actually serving here at joint base lewis mccord here just outside of seattle and in 2004, she was outed without her consent. Uh, she was essentially, she was having an affair with a woman who was married. Uh, and the husband of the other woman who found out and called the base and said, this is what's happening. Wow. And uh, she was honorably discharged. So in military terms, that means she was basically let go well. It could have gone much worse, um, but she sued. It noticed, by the way, a, a common thread. There's a lot of lawsuits in yeah. this, um, but she sued basically claiming that uh, her the the don't ask, don't tell policy, which was mm -hmm. in place at the time, violated her equal protection clause, the constitutional guarantee of equal protection under the law, and she won. Uh, this was oh. in 2011. She was basically reinstated so that she could retire that this is i mean she was deprived of benefits because she was making a career out of the air force and mm -hmm. she was basically let go before she qualified for retirement and uh or in a way that would disqualify for from her retirement benefits and she was reinstated and I say she kind of won because also behind the scenes what was happening at this time, this was 2011 when Don't Ask, Don't Tell was already on its way out and then the Obama administration officially ended it just like a few months after after her lawsuit kind of started wrapping up. So her her lawsuit was kind of wrapped up in the whole process of repealing Don't Ask, Don't Tell. Uh, which, when it was repealed, allowed LGBTQ plus Americans to 
serve in the military in a way that they could bring their whole selves to work. Um, there's asterisk on that, which is that protections for transgender military folks have have <laughs> gone back and forth a lot over the last few years uh, because they're not codified under law right now. It's it's up to basically a presidential edict, and different presidents mm-hmm. have had different perspectives as to how that should play out. So there's there's an asterisk to that repeal. That happened right here in Washington State. I, wow, that's... That's so wild. <laughs> that's, a, that's all I can think of to say in response. But yeah, I I have too many thoughts to, to, to voice them all at once. For my last person, um, I'll be talking about Dr. Katie Mack, who is a cosmologist. And she is super cool. I've just been following her online for such a long time. Um, and she doesn't only post like good like science outreach content, science communication content about like the research she does. Um, I think she just like generally posts like a lot of like thoughtful like I guess like modern day or modern world um, viewpoints that just like is not is it's not focused on like astronomy or space or aerospace or anything. Um, I and I like think that's especially important because like like I was saying earlier about like the people who say like focus on science like everything regarding the outside world isn't of concern to me I don't care about politics etc but it's very refreshing to see like um these people in these fields also not forgetting to like tie in the like very like modern world that we all experience every single day um I, so which I think is like very hard to not think about as you're doing your work um, day to day, but, um, so yeah, I think that's refreshing. So like I said, she's a cosmologist and she published a book on the end of everything, um, astrophysically speaking. Um, (laughs) and it's a very, like, like, I guess when you're reading a book about the end of the universe, you have to be in like a certain mental state. Um, I, that's, I guess that's all. (laughs) I read it once when it first came out and I'm going to try to reread it again, but it's very, it's, it goes over like the different, methods of how our universe can end and what goes into that and i think she's also now writing a book on like how the universe started which i thought was fun that she's writing two books on the two extremes of our our world but um yeah she's super cool i love all her viewpoints she's also a private pilot and she posts a lot of pilot content um and i just think she's awesome i just aspire to have the perspective she has on a lot of things in the future i'm glad that you brought um you know people like her to the to the table because a lot of mine were more historical um people Mm -hmm. who are long gone leo da vinci is (laughs) long gone Uh, (laughs) but it's important to remember that this is not as i said at the very beginning this is not just about the past it's about the past and the present and, and the future yeah people are are out there right now doing this work um yeah i think it's important to like contextualize like our day and age kind of like how we're how you are using your references to more historical figures um so we can understand more understand like the climate of that that time well those are 10 lgbtq plus people in aerospace uh, that we think you should know about and now you know about them if there are people that you think we left off the list i mean 
honestly, this list could be so much longer. We only have time for 10. Just because someone wasn't on this list does not mean that their story was not important. And we would like to hear from you, listeners. If there's somebody that you would add to this list, send an email to podcast at museumoflight.org. If we get enough submissions of reactions to this and additions, maybe we can do a follow-up episode or a read um, what you all say and and continue to grow this list of people who are just doing awesome things out there or who, ha- or who have done awesome or fascinating things in the industry. Dwala Morancy is author of the book Aliens Join the Scientists Searching Space for Extraterrestrial Life. Now you've called it a children's book every time you've talked, but it's it's not like a picture book. It's not like Good Night Moon. It's, it's pretty substantial. Yes, that is a really good point. I think if if you are someone who doesn't know that much about the field of astrobiology, you will definitely learn from it. Um, it's presented in a format that's understandable for, I guess, the average like nine or 10 year old. But I think it's a very accessible book for anybody interested in the subject. But yeah. Yeah, I've, I've uh, I gave it to my sister who's a fifth grade teacher uh, for her classroom and, and it has gone over well. So oh, and people can, people can get that at the Museum of Flight gift shop. You can buy it in person or online. And I'll leave links to all that in the show notes. Joalda, thank you again for joining me. Yeah, thank you for having me. 